It is certainly good to be back in the pulpit. I wanted to thank Thomas Barber for filling in. No doubt he will be listening to this sermon this coming week. So I did want to thank Thomas for filling in for me while I was away. I know that he brought a great, uh, did a great job bringing the Word of God with a timely message uh, which was needed by us all. So thankful to him. Be praying for Thomas today as he will be preaching this morning in uh, Pine Town Baptist Church. Be praying for Thomas as he brings the word, as he brings the word of the Lord there. Today I want to speak to you about the cost of salvation. I want to speak to you about what it means to have authentic faith. I want to speak to you about the significance and the significance of understanding the depth, the scope, and the truth of salvation. Some questions that you might ask as we travel through this text today. If you want to write down some questions to ponder or to consider would be, can the power of God be bought? Can the power of God be bought? Can salvation be bought? And we certainly would say, no. But how do our actions as followers of Jesus today sometimes portray the very opposite of that answer? So in today's portion of Scripture, we see an interaction between a man named Simon. Some call him Simon the Magician, Simon Magnus. An interaction between Simon the Apostle and, of course, Philip the Deacon And I believe as we look through these verses, they will help us to answer those questions. Can salvation be bald? And and how are we portraying the very opposite of how we answer that if we emphatically say no? And how do our actions as Christ followers sometimes portray the very opposite in the way that we answer that question? So I'll ask you, if you will, if you got that open, let's stand for the reading of the sacred scripture, the word of God. I will be reading from verse 9, and I'll read down through verse 13, and we'll come back to the latter portion of those scriptures towards the conclusion of the sermon. Verse verse 9 tells us that there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And people, they were amazed, saying that he himself was somebody great, And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. They said, this man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of this word. We know it is blessed because it is God-breathed. Help us to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. Father, may you hide me behind the cross, and may your church, Lord, be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here is Philip as he went down to Samaria. And Philip was forced to go 
through the actions of one Saul as he pressed in on the church and began to persecute the church. And so a byproduct of that is the deacon Philip went to Samaria to preach. And what he preached to the people was the resurrected Jesus as their long-awaited, long-awaited Messiah and Savior. The Bible says that the crowds were gathered together in one accord, paying attention to the word that Philip, the deacon, preached, and it brought them much joy. Now, this isn't the first time that we see this phrase that they were paying attention. In fact, we saw it today in reference to one Simon the Magician. Now, Philip is there preaching, and as he's preaching Jesus, there are unclean spirits that were being cast out, these unclean spirits who had taken up residence in the people for a long time. They had set up camp in the people. And Philip was preaching Jesus. These unclean spirits were cast out. The paralyzed and the lame were being healed. People were being saved. People were being delivered. They had been deceived by so, so long by this man named Simon. The preaching of Simon and the deception, I mean the, the deception of Simon and the preaching of Philip were intertwined together in this timeline. Here comes Philip preaching. The Holy Spirit saved, renewed people, brought them into salvation. Demons were cast out, lame walked, people were being healed. Some people called this man Simon a magician. Now what did this man teach? And how did Philip and the apostles deal with this Simon? Today we're going to find out how they dealt with Simon. Not only are we going to find out how they de dealt with Simon, the magician, but we will also find some similarities in, in, in the modern church. And so I'm going, to preface, I'm going to preface this to say that the things that I say this morning is from a place of concern. The things that I say this morning is out of play, a place of love. It is not brought out in a place to press down on anyone or punch down on anyone or any of those things. It is from a place of love and to seek to see the body of Christ portray authentic Christianity to the world. I want us to be professing followers of Jesus, not only in profession, but in our actions as well. Amen? So a couple of things I want to bring to your attention this morning. Number one is, do not be deceived by the sleight of hand of the enemy. As you may be well aware, the enemy has employed many tricks over the ages. He has a bag of tricks to allure people away from the truth. Sometimes they are packaged in shiny decor and they allure people away from the truth of God's Word. I am afraid that there are many people, even in the body of Christ, even in the church today, that are attracted to the things of the world. And so the devil does not have to pry too deep to get one's attention. The devil has many tricks in his bag to allure you away from adoration of King Jesus. 
And this man, Simon, was an instrument in the hands of the enemy. Look at the first set of verses with me in verse 9. Verse 9 says this. There's a man named Simon. They called him a magician. And in that city, he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, the early uh, church father by the name of Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr was a, um, he was a philosopher, Christian philosopher, and an apologist. In fact, Justin Martyr wrote a, uh, a treatise called An Apology. Justin Martyr said this of Simon, that he was a Samar- Samaritan and was from the village called Gitan, or some might say that this might be Gibeon. This magician was a person who is said to have practiced magic previously. And he was known for his sleight of hand. And by this sleight of hand, he was going to try to trick the apostles who, by the way, the Bible says, are full of the Holy Spirit, but he will find out very quickly that his actions are futile in the presence of men who are full of the Holy Spirit and who have discernment. People thought that this Simon had this godlike quality because of his amazing, his amazing feats and They thought that he was somebody great. He thought he was somebody great. They thought that he was performing miracles. Now, just so we are clear, the enemy cannot perform miracles. The devil cannot perform miracles. And so, the miraculous comes off in a way of being deceptive. Slight of hand. And so, in this Simon was being used by the enemy. By the way, this isn't the first time that heresy or damnable doctrine has been intertwined in church history, nor will it be the last, sadly. Any time that we preface salvation with a works or something that we do in and of ourselves, that is heresy, if not borderline heresy. Now, there's not much written about Simon Magnus, but one thing we do know is that he was... Deceiving people, he was wowing them with his antics, his sleight of hand, his deception. In today's vernacular, we would say something like this. He is pulling the wool over their eyes. You ever heard that phrase? He's pulling the wool over their eyes or he is deceiving them. He proclaimed to be somebody great as if he had this supernatural power to heal or to imitate the acts of the apostles. And Jesus had healed The apostles were were healing in Jesus' name by the power of God, and this Simon was trying to imitate these things. In this era that they lived, there were those who practiced dark arts and maybe what we would consider today to be some type of witchcraft or something like that, sleight of hand, in order to gain some type of popularity or notoriety. I'm convinced that there are people who call themselves leaders and pastors today who have no business in the pulpit at all. There are people who do today who call themselves pastors or elders or preachers who have no business standing in what we would consider to be the sacred desk, where God's Word is broken 
open and expounded upon. These are people who have made themselves out to be something great and they are fleecing the flock in order to have riches and fame. The modern day prosperity preacher or the rock star pastor who is guilty of pulling the wool over the eyes of the flock. They have infiltrated social media. They might have millions of followers and they might tweet some pithy, super spiritual sounding uh, saying in order to get followers and they have this rock star mentality and they are guilty of fleecing the flock just so they can make a name for themselves instead of just preaching the word. That's why we need wisdom and why we need discernment in the house of the Lord. It seems like today all people need to do to make it as a successful pastor or a preacher, or a TV personality, is a little charisma. Tell some good stories. Tell some good jokes. At the end of the day, good stories and a charming personality will not save anybody. I would submit to you, as I look at these next verses, I, I see people who are hungry for significance. You ever been around people who are just they are just hungry to see hope. They want to see hope somewhere where they have previously had no hope. I see people who are hungry for significance. They want to feel as if they matter. And that's okay. Being made in the image and likeness of God means that we have some significance there. And that's okay. But just make sure that that significance comes from a place that is truthful. The crowd paid attention to the apostles' actions earlier, are now paying attention, as it says, to, to Simon. They're hungry. They're hungry for significance and maybe even hope. Verse 10 said, and they all paid attention. And it says it again at the beginning of verse 11. And they paid attention to him. They said, this man is, has the power of God. He's great. And you'll notice in my translation that that word great is capitalized, means that they thought that this Simon had some form of deity. He was driven by the divine. And they paid attention to him again for a long time. He had amazed them with his magic. Now Luke, in his translation, by using the word magic, lets us know that this is not a genuine article. That there is some deception going on here. He would not use that this was a miracle from God, from Simon, more that it is magic, sleight of hand, deception. He tricked them into thinking that he had a true spark of the divine or that he had some power or some deity that rested on him, which is huge in Hellenistic and Greek philosophy, having a spark of the divine and, and, and exhibiting that in some way. And in this case, it was through some acts or miracles. He had fooled them. Simon is in danger of the wrath of God and anybody who stands in the pulpit or stands in the place and says something that God has not said is also in danger of the wrath of God. So he's attempting to impersonate God. Luke says it twice. They paid attention to him. We see it in verse 10 and 11. They were hungry for hope. For a long time, this Simon the false prophet had given them false hope. I am afraid by our own failure 
to live out authentic faith and in our utter silence when it comes to the gospel, we are also giving people false hope. What do I mean by that? Set up the scenario. You're a follower of Jesus, saved by the blood of Christ, and you have friends, you have family, you have people that you know who do not know the Lord, who are living in sin. They are far from God. And you are silent when it comes to your proclamation of who Jesus is. And they might say of themselves that I am fine in my current spiritual situation because here is a person I consider to be my friend who claims to be a Christian who has never told me of my sin, who has never challenged me in my pursuit of life, so I must be okay. And so we give them false hope in their own pursuit of their life and their worldview. Or, worst case scenario, they're a Christian and they do this often, fill in the blank. And I know that the Bible they read is against that, so if they can do that and they're fine, then I can live the way that I want to live and I'm fine too. We are giving people a false hope in our negligence of proclaiming who Jesus is. In more ways than one, we are probably more like Simon than we are Jesus. And I know you're probably thinking, when is this preacher going to be done? When's he going to be done? Look how foolish he looks, walking back and forth, preaching, proclaiming what God has said in his Bible. And I know because I've been there. I remember sitting in the pew, watching a preacher walk back and forth, and I'm thinking to myself, look how foolish that looks. Talking to the people. How foolish that looks. In my sin, I'm, I'm thinking, but proclaiming God's word is how God ordained his message of salvation to be distributed. How can they be saved unless you have a preacher proclaiming God's word? How can they be saved unless they hear? Listen, our Savior is, is worth proclaiming. He is worth showcasing and authentic faith for. And so, I'm going to say this once and I'll say it again. It is time for us, my friends, to quit playing church. I'm convinced the many followers of Jesus today exist who cannot accurately articulate what it means to have salvation in Jesus. Questions that every follower of Christ should be able to answer no matter the situation. Questions such as, what must I do to be saved? You ought to be able to answer that. What must I do to be saved? You ought to be able to answer that. What will it cost me? What will salvation cost me, if anything? And you should be able to answer that question. And I am convinced that there are many followers of Jesus today who are involved in churches who are trying to build a clubhouse instead of the Lord's house or His kingdom. They don't care whether they understand the depth of their salvation. Their response is this, that's the preacher's job. Well, my response is that, well, here's a Bible. You got a Bible. You go home, and I'll give you a week 
Search, your, search the scripture, search your Bible, and you come back and you show me in the Bible where it is just the pastor's job to know the depths of salvation. The truth must be what draws people, and not how cliquish we are, not how trendy we are. I have found in the life of the church that trends seem to die a slow and agonizing death because we don't know when the trend ends. They die a slow and agonizing death of being, instead of being taken out back and shot immediately. And some trends are damaging to the life and the health of the church. And you might say, well, preacher, I want to know some of those trends. What are some of the trends? Well, I think an all-encompassing trend is this, and they're actually coupled together. Trying to get people back into the pews who never knew Jesus to begin with. We want people to come and fill the pew who have never made a profession of faith. They don't care about how long your church service is. They don't care about what the content of the sermon is. They don't care because they've never met Jesus. And we will do anything to get butts in the pews. Some churches will abandon truth just to get the butts in the pews and never engage in evangelism and one-on-one -on -one discipleship. As long as they got the numbers of people to give a tithe, they don't care if they're lost. I don't need, I don't need to hear about your programs. I need to hear about Jesus first. I need to hear the gospel first. I need to hear that people know and can articulate the gospel. I need to hear about Jesus first. Not everything that your church has to offer. I think one of the worst inventions that we ever put in the church was that attendance board. We should be more concerned with living out our faith with 100 over 300 who just give lip service to Jesus. Now, I would love to have 300 people plugged in, but as long as there are churches in our area, in our community, amongst us, who are tickling ears and fattening up their social calendars with empty business, we'll never see it. We need revival, and that revival starts here. It starts with you. I don't want my ears tickled. I want somebody to hammer me with the truth. We say that we believe in salvation in Jesus and that it cannot be earned. We said no, we know it can't be earned if we believe salvation is only by the person and work of Jesus and it cannot be bought. Then why do so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus sell out and chase the church version of the American dream? I want more things for my family to do. I want more things for the youth to do. I want more things for the children to do. Well, here's a thought. How about living for Jesus and telling the world about him? That will keep you busy. If you think the church needs a ministry started or there's a deficit, charge the way. Let's, let's hear it. Let's go. Let's get into ditches together. Let's get our hands dirty together. Let's get into ditches together. We often hear people say salvation is free and it is, but it cost God, the only begotten Son, His life on the cross. And the world needs to see authentic faith. I'll never forget the time when we were playing softball. Um, the church league had a softball team. I don't know if you knew that or not. I mean, we weren't winning any World Series, just to say that. But we had fun together. We fellowshiped together. And I'll never forget this time... 
we would always pray before the game and after the game. And I remember this one occasion that we gathered around the mound. I don't even know who the man was. It was from the other team. And he came out to pray before the game. And his prayer was this. Lord, we ask you that you will <laughs> nourish, uh, bless this game for the nourishment of our bodies. And my first thought, Lord forgive me, was a judgmental thought. My first thought was, you haven't spent enough time with God to even come to the mound and pray to Him. That you're getting up your meal time and this time that we're serving, supposed to be outreaching, you're getting it mixed up. Yeah, it's a bit comical, but it is a commentary, I think, that is prevalent amongst people who claim to be Jesus. We haven't spent enough time with God to know even how to approach Him in prayer. What we find in the latter verses is the truth of the gospel breaks down this deception. The Bible says that they believe Philip preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. They were baptized and they continue with Philip, and he saw these signs and wonders, and he was amazed. Time and again, it has always been proven the truth that is found in God's Word will tear down falsehoods, and it's God's special revelation. That is why God's Word preached and Jesus proclaimed is so important. Now, they did not need lights. They did not need projectors. They did not need entertainment. They did not need anything that was a distraction from the Lord Jesus. They did not need coffee at the door. They did not need a band to strike up. They simply needed Jesus. Now I'm not saying these things are bad in and of themselves, but we don't need them to worship Jesus. We don't need the projector to worship Jesus. We don't need coffee at the door to worship Jesus. The gospel was proclaimed. People were saved. They were baptized in the mode of believer's baptism, meaning they believed, were saved first, and then were baptized. Let's not get that twisted. They believed, were saved, then they were baptized as a public proclamation. The Word of God was expounded, the Spirit was making people alive, and even Simon believed. Didn't mean he trusted Jesus, he believed. And all of this was performed through the hands of the steward of the miracle Philip. You do not need to be a preacher. You do not need to be a pastor. You do not need to be an evangelist, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, an elder, etc. to proclaim Jesus and to live out an authentic faith for His glory. In the song that is written by Fernando Ortega, Give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise... Give me Jesus when I am on my deathbed, when I am about to see Jesus, give me Jesus. I don't need your schemes. I don't need your gimmicks. I don't need your marketing ploys or your marketing strategy. Just, just Jesus. The Bible says that even Simon was amazed and why he has now witnessed the original work and is not a fake and the spirit of the age then and today seems to be anything goes or you only live once. That is the spirit of the age that we live in. 
is anything goes. But I still believe through it all in the power of the Spirit of God. I believe that people are still hungry and are looking for authenticity. And I want to be a vessel of authenticity for Jesus. I want us to be people who will demonstrate that authenticity. Why do you think we go on and on ad nauseum about discipleship and disciple making? Because praying around a baseball diamond for your meal isn't going to cut it. Gathering for one little prayer without digging into the truth of the gospel will not suffice in times of hardship. The world will chew you out and spit you out and you will not return. From verses 14 through 15, let's walk through the narrative quickly. The apostles were at Jerusalem. They heard it. Samaria had received the word and were being saved. And so they sent the apostles Peter and John, to lay hands on them. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus as Jesus commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells, us, tells to us, Simon saw that the Spirit was given and he said, well, give me this power also so that I might lay my hands and people will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, your silver will perish with you. You thought that you can buy God with, with money. You thought you could obtain this gift. Your heart is not in the right place. Therefore, repent. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Even in all of this, there is repentance. Please repent. That's a word I think that has been stricken from some preacher's vocabulary today. Repent. For I see that your heart is bitter and you're in your sin or iniquity. Pray for me, he says, that nothing you have said come upon me. They had testified, they had spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel into the villages of the Samaritans. Too many people today are like Simon. They are trying to manipulate God by the things that they give or their actions. As it was once said, that hell is paved with good intentions. None of these things will grant you favor with God. It doesn't matter how big a check you write or how many good things you do for your neighbor. Those things will never find you favor with God. There is only one way to find favor with God, and that is through and by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. In closing, church, my challenge has been throughout this message to wake up Stop faking like you are some super spiritual Christian. None of us are. But then live out your faith. Simon was faking it. And he thought he could obtain the gift of the Holy Spirit by offering money. And oh, how clouded the carnal and fleshly mind comes when it comes to the things of God. Just how do we live a life of authenticity? What are some characteristics of an authentic Christ follower's life? What does authentic Christianity look like? i got three very quick things I want to share with you. Number one, authentic Christianity will be marked by thankfulness and prayer. By thankfulness and prayer. What is the opposite of thankfulness and prayer? Complaining and strife. Colossians 1.3 says, We give thanks to God, the Father of your Lord Jesus, praying always. Praying always for you. 
Authentic Christianity will be marked by thankfulness and prayer. I would say prayerfulness. Authentic Christianity will be marked by an understanding and the depth of the gospel. That doesn't mean perfectly. There are some things about salvation that we'll never understand until we see Jesus face to face. But we can know the depth of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. This doesn't mean I understand it perfectly, but it is sufficient enough to lead us to right worship. Reflecting rightfully upon the depth of the gospel will lead us to authentic worship as well. To understand the gospel leads one to worship. Without an understanding of the gospel, how can one worship? Authentic Christianity will be marked by an understanding and the depth of the good news. And then lastly, authentic Christianity will be marked by a love for God's people and a desire to fellowship. As annoying as some of us might be towards one another sometimes, there's just something fulfilling about spending time with one another and God's people. And if we are in the family of God, we will want to be around one another. We will want to spend time not only in God's Word, in prayer, and thanksgiving, but we are going to want to be around one another. What breaks that fellowship? Might be our own sinfulness. Might be our own disobedience. It might be our selfishness. Don't be deceived by the sleight of the hand of the enemy. Don't be deceived. The world is full of things that will pull you away from Jesus. Do not be deceived. Pray for discernment and pray for wisdom. And lastly, the truth of the gospel will break down deception. That's why we need to be in God's Word. That's why we need to know Christianity in its authentic state, as the Bible describes it, and then to live that out for the world to see. I don't want anyone ever to say of me or to say of you, this person says he's a Christian, but are more like Simon Magnus or more like a hypocrite. I don't want to give anybody false hope, do you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your time that you've allowed us to be in your word today. I pray, God, that you will change us, speak to us as you have in your word, bring us to a place of conviction, Lord. I ask for my own, um, my own sin, Lord, my insignificance, Lord, my, my failure to stand for you, my failure to be authentic, so I, do, I lay that before you. I pray, God, you would help me to live a life that is conducive to a life of following Jesus. For those in here today who could say likewise, Lord, forgive me. I want to be authentic wherever I go. I'm tired of, of faking and I'm tired of projecting somebody that I'm not. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want the world to see that I love Christ. And maybe that's you today. Lord, I pray that you will deal with us accordingly as pleasing to you in accordance with you, your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.